Who loves praying? Is it you? <laughs> is it you? You guys are so serious this morning. What is that about? Huh? You did what? Who loves praying? And then I said, is it you? <laughs> you look beautiful, by the way. You're welcome. <laughs> okay. I'm going to pray. I know we just prayed together, but I'm going to pray again. Father God, we love you. And we've come to honor your name. To lift high the name of Jesus. To make much of who you are and what you've done on our behalf. To dive deep into the mystery that you've gifted us. To realize more and more that we're known by you, loved by you, held by you. Learning to become a people of praise. Learning to become hungry for your presence. And wanting to know you more and more. And I just bless this morning. And I ask Holy Spirit that you would open our ears and fling wide the gates of our hearts, God. That we would trust you more this morning than we ever have. Amen. Okay, we will be in Hebrews. That's towards the back of your Bible. Did you know that there's a lot of churches across the country that have coffee shops? And it's actually called Hebrews. <laughs> Isn't that clever? It's just clever. Solid ground, that's another one. <laughs> what? Hot hot bean juice. Yeah, go go with American Standard. That's fine. Not what I'm reading out of, but that's fine. Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12. The entire book of Hebrews is fascinating. I think you'll like it. It's got a lot of mystery in it. Lots of information for those of you that love information. Lots of revelation. Mystery, information, and revelation. That's fun. First one, are you there? Are we there? Sometimes I wish it was easy and everybody had the same page numbers. Yeah, mine's this is seven seventy nine. <laughs> Yours has study note. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Okay. First one. 
Therefore, let us also, having so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, put away every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and run with endurance the race which is set before us. Okay, let's stop and ask some questions. What the heck is a cloud of witness? Do you remember when Moses went and set the Israelites free from Egypt and they traveled out of Egypt into the wilderness? Do you remember this? I want you to have like a visual here. We're going to play visual Bible this morning. Moses went and set Israel free from Egypt. They had been enslaved in Egypt. He led them out, which is called the Exodus, which is also a book in the Bible. He led them out through an exodus, and we know that a cloud followed them by day and a pillar of fire by night. A cloud followed them by day and a pillar of fire by night. So this is the first time that we see that there is a cloud following God's people is way back in the exodus from Egypt into the wilderness where God is setting the people free. And this is a picture of the salvation experience. They crossed through the sea. Remember, God parted it. Can you imagine that? That's wild. Made, made a path right through. Right through the sea. And the entire nation, the entire nation, you guys, this isn't just a people group. <laughs> this is an entire nation is led through a split open sea on dry ground. This is a salvation experience. They are walking through the promise and the victory that God has provided them. And from then on, they're surrounded by either a cloud in the daytime or a pillar of fire at night. And the cloud dictated a way for them to move. Okay? This cloud of witness that Hebrews talks about is now a cloud that is ever-present because we are surrounded by spiritual realms. Say spiritual realms. Surround me. Yeah, see, there's nothing you can do to attract that or to dismiss it because you are surrounded by a spirit realm no matter what. What's in that spirit realm is what is dictated by what you choose. If you want to attract a cloud of witness that comes straight out of the heavenlies, you have to choose the right things. Otherwise, you are surrounded by much lesser things. Fallen angels. We know that demons are what? Fallen angels, right? Demons are fallen angels, which means they're still part of the spirit realm. So what you want to be influenced by is dictated by the choices that you make. At any given moment, you're surrounded no matter what. It's like you're worshiping no matter what. We've talked about this. We're releasing worship no matter what. We're releasing. Something has our attention and our affections at all times. Is it always God? Let's have an honest moment. Is it always God? Does God always have our attention and affections? So what are we worshiping in these moments? What has our attentions and our affections in these moments. Whatever that is, is what you're attracting in the spirit realm. 
Is this making sense? I know it should be a little alarming. <laughs> it really should. But we need to be aware. I mean, aren't you thankful to be made aware of what's going on around you? We live in a natural realm. We live and have our, our being here in this natural realm so that our body can exist, right? In the spirit realm, there are other things going on and it is the unseen realm. This is the space that we want to be able to reach into and pull the goodness of God out of and apply it to our natural life. But the problem is, is that so many other things have our attention and affection that we're pulling garbage into our life and allowing it to attach itself to us. I know every one of you has been familiar with the paranormal or the supernatural, the spooky season. Am I right? You're attracted to that kind of stuff. We can admit that here. You're attracted to that stuff, right? Am I telling lies? You're, you're attracted to that because it's intriguing and it's mystery. And the Bible tells us that it's the glory of God to conceal a matter, but the glory of kings to search it out. We were made to search out mystery. So we're attracted to the things unknown, to the things unseen. We just have to know what it is that we're attracting to ourselves based on the decisions that we're making. So this great cloud of witness that this is talking about, witness literally translates to martyr. So the great cloud of witness is made up of those that have gone before us and have given their lives up for Jesus. This great cloud of witness is revealing the way. Remember, we talked about the exodus that took place from Egypt into the wilderness when God saved his people, right? And that cloud that covered them by day revealed the way in which they should go. This great cloud of witness is doing the same thing for us because these are the martyrs, the ones who gave up their life fully for Christ, revealing the way we should go. See, our life and this is probably not something that, that you're, you're privy to, that when you decided to give your life to Jesus, when you wanted to say, I'm a Christian, and maybe for some of you, you just believe you're a Christian because you live in a Christian nation. But really what that means, when I make the decision to follow Christ, and we haven't done it, we've done disservice to this. What we've been told is, you just ask Jesus into your heart and he's going to bless your life. And you will know with certainty where you will spend the rest of your days. It's all about an end game, right? When salvation has been presented to you, it's all about an end game. We are serving the outcome beyond death. That's what salvation has looked like for us. Choose Jesus so you don't go to hell. Am I right? That's the message. Invite big old God into your little bitty heart. That's what we're told. To rescue us from hell. It's not the full story. The full story is the way. We're surrounded by a great cloud of witness who knew the way. They knew that choosing Jesus meant living a sacrificial life. They understood altar life. They understood that they had to give up everything 
to follow him unto death. Unto death. Will we all face martyrdom in the end of our life? Probably not. Some of us will probably just die of natural causes, old age. Some of us will give our lives up for Christ. That's what this great cloud of witness is. They're revealing the way of the sacrificial life, of what it means to follow Christ. These people are the people that are at the feet of Jesus on a regular basis. And it's beautiful. Revelation really lays this out and, and talks about how God is shepherding them to this day. Because they're the ones that walked in the way of Christ and gave up everything. Every time that Jesus told one of his disciples, come and follow me, he was really asking them, leave everything that you know and that is familiar to you behind and come and be like me. Give up everything that's familiar to you. You're a fisherman. I'm going to make you fisher. I'm going to make you a fisher of men. You're no longer going to fish for the fishies of the sea. You're going to fish for men. And that meant they had to give up everything that they knew to be true of themselves. One disciple came to him and said, yes, I will follow you, but let me go and bury my father first. And Jesus said, let the dead bury their own. Follow me. When he's asking for everything, he means everything. And that's what this great cloud is revealing to us, is the way of living your life fully for Jesus. It means you're giving up everything that is familiar to you. And you're saying, I want to be a bondservant of Jesus Christ. I want to lay it all down. Because he's not asking for a little bit of you. He's not asking for your lip service. And he certainly isn't asking for your Sunday attendance. He's asking for your life. It's an exchange of my life for his. That's not what you signed up for, is it? No one told you that. At the great altar of salvation, no one told you that that's what it was. That when you said yes to Jesus, that you were saying yes to giving your life up. That you were laying yourself down to live as Christ. To allow him to come in and possess you. Apostle Paul, we're not getting very far in Hebrews, apologize. When, when Paul, before Paul had his moment with Jesus, do you want to know what he was doing? Do you want to know what Paul was doing? He went by Saul. And what he was doing is he was raised up in the Jewish culture, brilliant, very cerebral, very cerebral. He knew all the right things, right? He knew how to be a good Jewish boy, which he was only partially Jewish, right? He's also Roman. He's persecuting the people that are following Jesus. He's making martyrs. The first martyr that we read of in the Bible is Stephen. Stephen gives up his life for Christ. And in so doing, he starts preaching. He's captured and he starts preaching. In the middle of this angry mob, he starts preaching. He starts reminding them of everything that their God had done. They stoned him anyway. And as they began to stone him, he said, I see him. 
I see the lamb seated at the right hand of the father. Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. And he's killed. He's killed. He's the first martyr. And guess who did it? Saul. Saul's the one that put that into motion. He's the one that set that up. So on his way to another execution, God knocks him off his horse. He has an encounter like no other. And Jesus appears to him and says, Saul, why are you choosing to persecute me? And from that moment, he's blinded. He's blinded. He can't see. And he's taken into the town and he's blind for three days. And God sends a man by the name of Ananias. And he, tell, he tells Ananias, I want you to go and heal Paul from his blindness. And Ananias says, no, like I know who this guy is. I know what he's about. I know what he's done, right? Like who would go? Those who know the way, right? Ananias becomes a bondservant to the Lord and is like, your will. I'm scared, but your will. He goes and he prays over him. And it says like shackles. Something fell off of his eyes and he could see. And Saul or Paul, however you want to refer to him at this point, is baptized in the Holy Spirit. Right there in that moment. He gives his, himself fully to Christ. Fully. Not my will, but yours. Not my life, but yours, Jesus. And then he goes down and he, he, he gets baptized by water. And you know what the man does immediately? He begins to preach the gospel. Immediately. Some would tell you that he goes off for 14 years or whatever it is, and then he comes back and starts preaching the gospel. It was immediately. It says he got baptized by the Spirit, baptized by the water, and immediately began to preach the gospel. Do you see the difference? That the salvation that was offered Paul was, give me your life. Stop taking the lives of others and give me yours. Immediately, his life is transformed, and he's doing the work of the gospel. The salvation message that you and I have received is what we just discussed. Ask Jesus into your life so that you don't go to hell. Do you see the difference? So then you live your life afraid that you're going to mess up and go to hell. And then you want to answer every altar call that's ever been given. I'm going to give my life to Jesus once more because I think I messed up again. But when you die fully and completely and you become a bondservant of the Lord Jesus Christ, your life is not your own anymore. Your decisions are not your own anymore. And you don't answer any more altar calls because he's living as you. See the difference? See the difference? One has instant results, instant impact, and the other one is the complete opposite. You're living in fear of losing salvation. 
And here's the deal. God doesn't take away free gifts. Salvation is a free gift. It was purchased on your behalf. Jesus came and did what he did to turn our hearts back to the Father. He came as that great cloud. He is the ultimate martyr. He came on a suicide mission. He knew what he was doing when he stepped out of heaven. When he made the agreement, and he did make an agreement, you have to read about it. It's in the story of Abraham. He and the Father make covenant with one another in the story of Abraham, that Jesus would come and pay the price, that he would be the sacrificial lamb. There's an entire system, an entire legal system that was set up in the Old Covenant that required the sacrifice of animals in order to free us from our sins for a year. But the perfect lamb, when God steps out of heaven and becomes the perfect lamb in flesh like me, gives himself up without a complaint. You know, the Bible says that he went to the slaughter like a lamb and didn't utter a sound. This is why he's blameless. Jesus had every right to defend himself. I didn't do it. How many of you have said that in your life? It wasn't me. Jesus didn't do any of it. He took on all of our guilt, all of our shame, all of our sin, and died a horrific death on our behalf. The perfect lamb. Can you imagine? He never did anything wrong. Ever. Ever. He never did anything. He's the great sin collector. He walked the earth for 33 years collecting our sin, putting the weight of our sin on his shoulders. He becomes the sacrifice. What only set people free for a year at a time, Jesus made available for all time. But it's an exchange of our life for his. We take on his life. When he was raised from the dead, remember, he was in the grave for three days. And during those three days, guess where Jesus was at? Jesus went and took back what was his. In those three days, he went to hell and he took back the keys. What he did was so complete, we don't understand it because we don't understand sacrificial life. What he did was so complete, we can't screw it up. We can't mess it up. Even if we tried, we can't mess it up. But he's raised from the dead. He's raised from the dead three days later. And what's so fascinating is the people don't recognize him. The very people that walked with him for three years, they don't recognize him. He's having a conversation with Mary right outside of the tomb, and she's weeping, and she's beside herself. Who took the 
body of my Lord. Because they didn't have a clue. They didn't know what he meant. Half the time they didn't understand anything. They just shrugged their shoulders and went on. You're in good company, right? He had to reveal himself to Mary. It's me. I'm right here. Later, the disciples are in the upper room, and Mary's already reported he's there. He's, he's alive. <laughs> he walks right through the wall. Doesn't even use the door. The door doesn't need a door. Walks right through the walls. And stands before them, and they're like, is it a ghost? They don't recognize him. But look what he's accomplished at this point. He's God and he's man. And he gives everything. And just because he, he's God and he's man didn't mean that he didn't feel every moment of the excruciating pain that he went through. Do you know that he even made a pit stop to be beaten within an inch of his life? So we would be healed? So we'd walk in wholeness? Where's that at? Does everybody in here know somebody that is sick? Where's that at? He didn't have to. He didn't have to do that. It's so funny because Pilate's actually questioning him and he's like, do you know what I'm capable of doing to you? And Jesus is like, you're not capable of doing anything to me without the, the will of my father behind it. Which is saying, it is only by the will of the Father that I'm here. You haven't captured me. If you remember the scene in the garden when he's arrested, they're like, and they, they come with an entire army to arrest Jesus. And they're, where's, where's Jesus Christ in Nazareth? And he says, I am here. And when he says that, they all fall out. <laughs> there, there they go. So don't ever think for one moment that it was because man overpowered the Son of God. That's not what happened. He gave himself up willingly to show us the way. And then even when Peter tries to defend Jesus in the garden, when they go to actually arrest him, Peter pulls out his sword and cuts off the ear of one of the guys. Jesus like, what are, put it away. Put it away. I don't need you to defend me. This is the will of my father. Oh my gosh. You guys, we've got a lot to learn, don't we? If this is the way, we've got a lot to learn because I defend myself on the regular. We've got a lot to learn. You know what Jesus does in this moment? The guy's missing an ear. Jesus rebukes Peter, bends down, picks up the ear, heals the man, and the ear is reconnected. He heals the man so he can arrest him. Who is this? Who is this Jesus that we're saying we serve? Who is this Jesus that we call Savior? He gives up his life over and over and over. He gives himself freely. When God dies, we should pay attention. 
we think in our minds, this is what we believe, that that God and Satan are somehow enemies. We watch too many superhero movies where there's always a, a equal opponent thing happening in the room, right? It's always the same. They're always like, they, they each have their own powers and they're somehow, you have this struggle of, you know, what I'm saying. Good and evil. This is not that. This is not that. Satan is a created being, right? Satan was created by whom? Who? God. He's created by God. They're not opponents. One is subject to the other. What's even crazier, if we could really catch this, Satan is actually subject to you because he's part of the angelic order. Man actually has great influence over the angelic. They actually are waiting for commands from the children of God to go forth and do the will of God in the earth. So how could he be God's opponent if he's subject to man? Puts it in perspective. What are you allowing to influence you? What are you worshiping? What in the spirit realm are you drawing to yourself? Is it the great cloud of witness that's showing the way? Let's read on. Looking away unto Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down on the right hand of the throne of God. Looking away unto Jesus. Looking away from what? What do we look away from? All the distractions? Looking away from the compromise? Looking away from the tolerance? Looking away from the sin habits? Just to fix our eyes on Jesus. David says, Better is one day in your courts. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. This is where I want us to get. Is where we are so hungry for just one moment with him that it's worth it. I'll give up everything just for that one moment to look away and behold him. I want to look away from everything else just to behold him because he's worthy. And what's more, you're worthy. You're worthy to behold such beauty. He's made you able, capable of beholding that level of glory and beauty. But we settle. We behold all kinds of trash on our phones, our TVs, podcasts. We settle. But we were made to behold the author and finisher of our faith in fullness. Guys, this is why there are sick among us. It's because we're not beholding the fullness of Jesus. We're beholding everything else. 
Don't you ever wonder what's keeping me from seeing him? Why? Why do I feel so held back? Why do I not do the things that I want to do? Paul says that actually in Romans. It's a good book. You should read it. Why do I keep doing the things that I don't want to do when I can be holding? It's free. We have free. Say, I have access. We have access, you guys, at any given moment. We can turn away from everything else and hold him. Soak in the fullness of the glory that is Jesus. And if we would do that, there'd be no sick among us. Because we would be radiating, leaking out God's glory everywhere we go. Because we would know what he's done. Because when we behold him, we see him in his fullness and all that he has done captivates us. And we believe. Right now, we're half-hearted believers. We struggle. We've got one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom. We're on the struggle bus. Because we haven't known. Can I just, can I give you a cop out? We just haven't known. We were told that salvation was about not going to hell. It's not, it's about Jesus Christ. Say salvation is about Jesus Christ. If we would make it about Jesus, we would understand that we are laying our life down. Do you know that he says, Jesus said this himself. If I be lifted up, I alone will draw all men to myself. You want to know what the desire of the nations is? The way. It's the way. It's this great cloud that's revealing the way. The way of following Jesus. That's what it is. That's what the nations are desiring is to learn and cling to the way. They're looking for something to give their life unto. You want to know why we have so many teenagers right now killing themselves? Because God is raising up a generation of martyrs who will give themselves to the way. But they're being caught up in other things because the church is not putting Jesus on display. Because our salvation message is, be good so God will like you and you won't go to hell. When really the salvation message is, die so you can live. It is. That's the message. Die. Give up your life. Lay your life down. Become a living sacrifice and let Jesus live the rest of your days out as you. That's the message. Verse three. We're not getting very far very fast, but it's fine. This is good. You don't have to agree with me. I know it is. Verse three. For compare him who has endured such contradiction by sinners against himself so that you may not grow weary, fainting in your souls. This is where we've been. Fainting in our souls. If you are someone that is always stuck in a valley of indecision, this is what this means. You're fainting in your souls. You've lifted your soul up to another. We just talked about it. We are always worshiping. What are you lifting your soul up to? We talked about this a few weeks ago. What is your soul being lifted up unto? What are you beholding? 
You will faint in your soul when your soul does not have the nourishment that it was made to have, which is the fullness of the glory of God. Do I need to say it again? Okay. You will experience a fainting in your soul when you're giving yourself to everything else because your soul was created to encounter and experience the fullness of the glory of God. Your soul will not be satisfied until it is quenched with the fullness of the glory of God. It's, it's what your soul is after. Your soul wants the fullness of the glory of God. Listen to my announcement. I am making an announcement here. Your soul will not be satisfied until it has looked at and laid hold of the fullness of the glory of God. Otherwise, it's fainting. It's, want to know why you're so dang dramatic about everything? Because you're giving yourself to everything else. When you were made to give yourself to one. To live under the influence of the fullness of the glory of God. Say, I am made. Oh, come on. With some conviction, people. I am made to live under the influence of the fullness of the glory of God. It's what your soul is after. Can you feel it? Can you feel like this hunger inside of you? It's just, it's after something. Something greater than you. That's what it feels like. Where your soul is like, it's after something greater than you. And you're like, soul, we can't accomplish that. Right? That's the point where you... You kill the thing. You kill the man who's telling the lie, keeping you in a fainting state, in a valley of indecision, and you're like, no, we're going with the soul this time. And it wants to be lifted up to God. Your body, your flesh will tell you, you can't do it. It'll tell you over and over, no, that's not wise. No, that's foolish. No, that's dangerous. But your soul knows what it's like to live under the influence of the glory of God because it's where we originate. You were breathed into existence, right? Got to go back to Genesis. Day six, you were spoken into existence and your soul remained within the bosom of the Lord until he formed your little body in your mama's womb and he released your soul into that body. So your soul knows what it's like to live under the influence of the glory of God. And it's so mad at you when it's lifted up to everything else. It's like, ah, stop it. It wants one thing. One thing. After Jesus. Let's keep reading. Four, you have not yet resisted unto blood, struggling against sin. He's talking about Jesus. And you have completely forgotten the exhortation which reasons with you as, as with sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when reproved by him. For whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. 
For what son is there whom the father does not discipline? That's beautiful. Someday you'll come to love that. But if you are without discipline, of which all sons have become partakers, then you are an illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had the fathers of our flesh as discipliners, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be in subjection to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined for a few days, as it seemed good to them. But he, for what is profitable, that we might partake of his holiness? Now, no discipline at the present time seems to be a matter of joy, but of grief. But afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been exercised by it. Therefore, set straight the hands which hang down and the paralyzed knees. And make straight paths for your feet, that what is that what is lame may be, not be put out of joint, but rather may be healed. Pursue peace with all men and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Okay, that was a whole lot. It's talking about the discipline of God. God disciplines those He loves. Do any of us really enjoy discipline? Not so much. He just laid that out, said that it feels like grief to me because we're incapable of seeing the joy in it. But we will. We will because it's producing holiness on the inside of us. What happens when we behold God in the fullness of his glory? When we do that, when we lift our soul up to the, whole, to the, the glory of God, we get deposits of his holiness and holiness is an inside job. Say holiness is an inside job. When we behold God in his fullness, we, we receive deposits of holiness. Righteousness is a manifestation of holiness. So when we behold the lamb, we get deposits of holiness and righteousness is the manifestation of holiness. So righteousness is what you see, right? When you go to a conference and you see somebody that you've been following on the social medias and you're like so excited because you just love them and they're the greatest thing since sliced bread. And, and the thing that's drawing you is their righteousness. It's the right standing with God that you see. That's what righteousness means. Right standing with God. And it's because they lift their soul up to the fullness of the glory of God and receive deposits of holiness that form the inside of them that manifests righteousness and attracts you. Listen to this. Verse 14 just said, Pursue peace with all men and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. You want to know why people are turning away from the church? Because the church isn't turning faces toward the fullness of God. They're turning faces toward self-help. Self-help. Me, 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 me. Identity. All about me. It's all about me, God. Mm. That's what, that's what our Americanized church has turned into. It's, it's a self-help program. Here are your five takeaways to practice this week so you can be a better you. 
Huh? Next steps. I'll give you one. You want to be transformed? Turn your eyes to Jesus. Lift your soul up to Jesus. There's your self-help. It's not about you. Remember, you're dead. When you came to Jesus, whether you knew it or not, you died. It's not about your identity. It's about, it's about his. He's living your life out as you. Verse 14 says it all. Pursue peace with all men and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Without those deposits of holiness on the inside of us, we can't manifest righteousness and no one will see the Lord. Is that sobering? It really should be. It should be sobering. Without holiness, without, and we got to back it up. And I'm repeating myself on purpose because I want this ingrained. Without us lifting our soul up, turning our eyes and fixing them on Jesus Christ and experiencing the fullness of his glory on a regular basis, we don't have deposits of holiness and we can't manifest righteousness and therefore nobody can see Jesus. How are people going to see Jesus? Through you and me. Because what righteousness does is lifts Jesus high all the day long. If I fix all of my affections, all of my worship on Jesus Christ on a regular basis, when I go to Walmart, I've already had my deposits of holiness and righteousness is manifesting and everybody around me sees Jesus. But when I turn my affections and lift my soul to my favorite TV programs all day long, and whatever else, you get the idea. When I'm consuming trash and I go into Walmart, guess what I do? I enter in, right? I enter into the garbage chatter because that's what I filled myself with. And so that's what I'm releasing because we're releasing something at all times. Yes? Yes. So it's then not holiness that's producing righteousness that turns people's eyes toward holiness to see Jesus. It's self-righteousness that I'm now exuding, right? I'm leaking self-righteousness. It's all about me. You're annoying me. You didn't say hi to me. You didn't do this. You didn't do that. Uh, They don't even have my product on the shelf. And I know they did it on purpose because they knew I was coming. See the difference? The world can't see Jesus if you refuse to be holy. Salvation is about you giving up your life to follow the way. And here's the deal, you guys. And and I feel like God has just, he's opened my eyes to this this week because I'm like, Jesus, okay, like I need to know like really what's going on. Like people make decisions for you all the day long, but then they can't hold those decisions and they seem to get stuck back in the valley of indecision. It's frustrating. And so God did. He's faithful. He opened my eyes and he let me see. And this is what happens, you guys, is is we make the commitment in spaces like this. We're like, I'm following the lamb. 
but we do nothing about the habits that we've developed throughout likely our lifetime. We fall into the same pattern and that pattern unfortunately is riddled. Remember we just talked about the unseen realm that we're surrounded by a spirit realm and depending on what we lift our soul up to is what we attract. Well, those patterns of living, those habitual things that we do already have attachments to them. So you might not be demonized, but the things, the habits, the lifestyles that we live have demons assigned to them to put you back to sleep, to change your focus. We live in a spirit realm. Everything is influenced by something. See, angels and demons, because they're all a part of the angelic, right? Just some are fallen. They have assignments they must carry out. Nothing's changed. They just, the fallen angels, the demonic, have a different leader. They still operate under the same system. They're assigned things. And lulling you to sleep is one of them. Getting you distracted is one of them. Throwing you back into your habits how many of you have ever been on Facebook and you've been scrolling and scrolling and scrolling? You set the phone down, five minutes later, you're scrolling and scrolling, and you're agitated. Do you know what I'm talking about? You're like, ugh, but I can't seem to put it down. That's what I'm talking about. Habits. If I would take the amount of time that I spend scrolling to fix my eyes on him, you guys, I would have unlimited encounters, unlimited encounters, and so would you. So what I want you to be mindful of as this week plays out is what has your attention? What has your attention? I want you to notice, and you will notice now that I've drawn your attention to it, the habits that you just do because it's what you've always done. You need to start questioning these things. God, show me what's actually going on here. Why do I want to do this right now? If your thing is to come into the house and flip the TV on to whatever your program is, start questioning these things. Just start questioning everything that you're doing. If, if your first thing in the morning that, that you do is turn Facebook on, turn it on, that's funny, um, and, and start checking your feed, stop for just a moment and be like, open my eyes, God. Make me breathe. Make me breathe. Open my eyes. And listen, if you will just tune your spirit in, you'll feel him drawing you up. He'll be like, hold on, before you do that, because he's not going to say, like, don't do that. He just wants to draw you into something else first thing in the morning. Like, what does he want to be on your mind first thing in the morning? We need to learn to live a lifestyle of beholding the fullness of God. Like, let's rush his throne room before we rush the living room chairs. You know what I'm saying? Let's, let's rush into intercession before we start scrolling. 
Yeah. Okay. Mm, Jesus. All right, now we just we fix our hearts on you. Oh, we just want to gaze into your beauty right now and say thank you. Thank you, Jesus. We know that what you've done isn't trivial. that it was a high cost to set us free, to be able to behold you at any moment. God, that we don't have to wait for special circumstances to talk to you. We don't have to wait for special people to communicate to you through for us. We can rush the throne room Anytime. And I just thank you, Holy Spirit, for revealing the true essence of salvation. That it's far more than we've ever been told. It's a life of living as you. On your path, Jesus. And we love the whole thing, the whole exchange. That we behold you and you deposit your holiness in us. And we get to manifest your righteousness on the earth. So that others can see 